All right, so last Sunday, I began a series called Approachable. And I'm very excited about this. If you remember, the series before that was Jesus is King. And I talked about all the aspects of him as our king. And so when you hear this, I mean, obviously, Jesus is larger than life. Amen? And, and, and because of that, and because he is God, it can be very intimidating to approach him. And I even said some things like, you know, Jesus is king of kings, right? Jesus is the warrior king, and Jesus is the victorious king, amongst many other things. And so, somewhat, that's, that can be very intimidating. Like, I, I myself am not good enough to be able to approach him. Somehow, I've got I've to get clean and, and be perfect so that I can come to him and I can experience his presence. And that, my friends, is a lie from the devil. That is not the case. And if you remember, my main thing that I said last Sunday was this, is that when we approach Jesus, we cannot rely on confidence in ourselves, but we rely on the confidence in who Jesus is, right? If we know who he is, then we're going to be more available to approach him. We're going to actually make ourselves more available to approach him. We're going to be able to do so with boldness and with confidence. And that's what I need, and that's what I think God needs from all of us, is to be able to do that. That is so important. And we've talked a lot about the day and age that we live in. Look at what's happening in this world. Look what's happening this week. Look what we're witnessing in this country. The Supreme Court might very well be ruling on abortion. God is moving. So with that, and I believe God's will will be done in that situation, we're already seeing the world starting to line up against the church. There are churches that have been threatened this Sunday because of what is going to happen through this Supreme Court ruling. We're seeing that happen, and so I think this is extremely timely, this message. Not that I, somehow I have some special connection with God and I know exactly what he wants me to say this morning, because believe me, this has been a process this week as I've been seeing the news, seeing everything that's going on in the world, and then taking what I believe he has given me to try to give it to you all so that we can understand why Jesus being approachable is so important because the battle lines are being drawn more clearly now than ever before. And every one of us, young to those that are older in age, we all have a responsibility to be approaching him a whole lot more. And so today I know, I know today is Mother's Day, and I know for some of us that's a good thing, and we can celebrate our moms, and we're happy to do so, but others, it brings some pain. My mom passed away 11 years ago. It's a reminder that she's no longer on this earth, although I know she's in heaven. Praise God for that. But sometimes we talk about Mother's Day and Father's Day and, and even things like Veterans Day, and, and it, it's based on relationship with people, and sometimes people, let's just be honest, let us down. 
And maybe even as a mother, you feel like God has let you down because you've lost one of your children or your children have gone wayward and you don't even have a relationship with them anymore. And I'm sensitive to that. The staff of this church is very sensitive to that. But what we have to do is we have to look at Jesus differently. And and I don't want you to think that when I say he is a friend, that somehow we bring him down to our level of humanity. We cannot base our relationship with him on things that have happened to us or the relationships that we have with people on this earth. Because people will always let you down, even those that are of your own blood. They will. So if you could do me a favor as we go through this today, what I'm asking you to do is put out of your mind some of the context you might have on relationships based on the people that you live with, the people that you do life with, because really those kind of relationships don't have any meaning with the relationship that you should have with the one true God. So if you remember last week, I read out of Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 16, says this, let us then with confidence, that word confidence, right, draw near to the throne of grace. And I talked about how this is God's grace. We're in this age of grace since Jesus died, resurrected, ascended into heaven. We're now in this church age, which is the age of grace. This is not a time of judgment and condemnation, although that time is coming. But right now, praise God, we're in the age of grace, so now we can draw near with confidence to Jesus who is seated on the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy, mercy, and grace to help in our time of need, in our time of need. So what I want to do is I want to focus on who Jesus is, and the word that that I want you all to take away from today as we get into John chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, John chapter 15. The word that I want you to take away from today is consistency. Everybody say that word with me, consistency. Consistency. Let me hear you say it again, consistency. Now, I'm going to be very interactive with you guys this morning, so I need everybody to wake up. Because I know all the sons and the dads that are in here have been preparing for Mom's Day today, and you're all exhausted, I get it. Well, guess what? Those mothers have been raising children, they're more tired than you are, so it's time to man up, right? It's time to man up and be awake this morning because I need you to be interactive today. (laughs) Consistency is the word today. And so this whole book that I'm holding right now, the Bible, this, this is all about relationship between God and man, friendship, right? And you don't get any further than just the first few verses in Genesis where we see that God created man. And then later from that, he created woman out of man. Man and woman. He created man and woman. Read between the lines. Man and woman. Male, female. Nothing else. Man and woman. (laughs) 
And in the garden, God walked with Adam and Eve. Friendship, relationship. And then out of that, which is really cool, is that he, here we go, developed developed this thing called marriage. This is like a, a direct representative of the relationship that we have with God. Hence, Jesus being the groom and us, the church, being the bride. There's this awesome relationship aspect of what marriage is supposed to represent. And Adam and Eve got married, and the Bible said that marriage is between a man and a woman. And so we have marriage that is formed out of that relationship, and of course then we have sin. Sin enters in, and then ultimately what happens is that relationship is severed because of the fall of man, because of sin. Sin separates us from God. But as we continue on, then we see Abraham, and the Bible says that Abraham was a friend of God. And then from Abraham, as we keep on moving down the lineage, we have David. And David was a man after God's own heart. Again, there's this, this friendship theme that we're seeing here. And then from David, we'll go all the way to Jesus. And Jesus was the one that was sent to mend that relationship, right? Hence the reason why the veil was torn from top to bottom, symbolic of the fact that the door is now open, that we can now boldly approach the throne room, that we now have relationship reestablished with the Father because Jesus paid the ultimate price and our sins for those of us that are in Christ, in other words, those of us that have received Jesus are no longer held against us and now we have this friendship with God. So like Adam and Eve, like Abraham, like David, now we've been invited into this awesome friendship. But friends in this world let us down. People let us down. And so I'm very well aware of the fact that there are people in here that have lost friends, that have had friends stab them in the back, that have that have had friends that maybe in some cases you thought were brothers and sisters, but are now no longer part of your life. And now in that void of of betrayal, which Jesus is very well aware of, he's experienced that, so has God, has experienced what that feels like. There's a void there, and now there's loneliness that creeps in. Mother's Day, that might even be highlighted with you. But what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is our friend. I want to pray one more time before I get into the main port of my message. So Father, I thank you so much for everybody that's in here today. I thank you, Father, that we're able to push aside relationships as we know it on a human level. And I ask that you help us to open our hearts to receive our, our, our ears to hear what it is that you want us to say, Father, that you, want, that you want me to say through me to them, Father. I just thank you so much that um, today we're going to learn what it means to be your friend. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been kind of going through some things here recently, and, and um, I've got a really good friend or I should say I had a really good friend that for some reason this week he was brought to my heart and I actually texted him and just said, hey man, 
You're just on my heart. just want to see how you're doing. He recently lost his mother. And I've mentioned him before, but I want you to, to see what this has caused in me and, and how God is using this situation to, if I will, to kind of prune me. So this guy that I'm talking about um, was somebody that I met in the spring of 1981. And I met him on a soccer field because we were playing soccer together and I was just a little over seven years old. So I've known him since I was seven years old. And it's really kind of crazy because I, I was the kind of guy, and you, you might remember me saying this, but I was bullied all through, through school. And so he was, since he did not go to the schools that I went to, we, we had this close relationship and, and we bonded and he was kind of my, my safety net, if you will. Like I knew I had somebody that was very close to me. And we did everything together. And maybe some of you can relate, right? You've got people in your life that you just do everything with. Friends that you have that, that you were bonded almost like a brother or like a sister. And with him, we did everything together. And, and it was really cool because sometimes he would follow my lead and sometimes I would follow his lead. He, would, he joined the Cub Scouts. I joined the Cub Scouts. We went through the Cub Scouts together. I joined the Boy Scouts, decided that we should continue that, and he joined the Boy Scouts. And out of that, we both became Eagle Scouts, which was really cool, around the same time. And then from there, I went into the Naval Sea Cadet Corps. That's how I met Lisa, my wife. And he followed suit for a very brief moment. He was also part of the Naval Sea Cadet Corps. And then as we got through high school, I applied to VMI, and he actually said, yeah, I thought about it too, and he applied to VMI. And we both got into VMI. And then we went through VMI together. And after my, my rat year or my freshman year, he and I were roommates for, for three years. It, we just shared so much. And then we both decided we were going to go jump out of airplanes like a bunch of idiots in the Army, go through airborne school. We did that together. I remember the very first jump that I did. We're sitting on a C-141 cargo plane, and he was directly across from me white as a ghost, just like I was, as we were getting ready for the light to go off for us to stand up and go jump out of the plane. It, we shared so much together, and we both got commissioned in the Army, and we did some time in the Army, which he is still in the Army, but out of that, he became my best man at my wedding, because he was my brother, and he went to OBC school down here in Fort Sill in Lawton, Oklahoma, right after uh, we got out of VMI, after he became commissioned, right after I got married. And so the relationship continued because he came up, would come up and visit me and Lisa from time to time. And then after that, gone, just gone. We, we had this, this, this awesome run for about, and I can't do the math, what, 20 years? He was my brother and he just is gone. And there's some things that contributed to that. I'm partially at fault for that. I, I, I was fire and brimstone kind of preacher when I first got saved. And obviously, because I just explained to you the relationship that I had with him, I wanted him to know Jesus more than anything. And he doesn't know him. And he thinks that I'm crazy. <laughs> I, I feel 
kind of lost without this guy who even after all these years, now we're talking moving on 25 years later where I'm at now, where there's still that, that ache because the, the kid had a part of my heart, that guy did. He had a part of my heart. He still does. And now I, I think this past week as I've been putting this message together, I'm realizing that there's a little bit of loneliness there because I shared so much with him and, and I keep thinking about him and maybe that's just God placing him on my heart because I do believe there'll be a day when he'll call me and say, yeah, the whole Jesus thing, yeah, I need, I need to get saved. Like God is keeping that door open. But I was hurt by that, man, you know? That, that relationship lost. And the word that God gave me was, that's not the kind of relationship that needs to sustain you anymore. The one that needs to sustain you is the one that you and I have. You see, if you've experienced a loss in a friend, if you've experienced betrayal in a friend, if you're experiencing loneliness right now, that is God sending you an invitation to draw near to him. And ultimately what this past week for me has highlighted is, is I need to draw more near to him. And I think honestly some of that pain and, and whatever it is that I was feeling, whatever it is maybe you're feeling because you've lost a close friend is an indication of how much God wants us to draw near to him and how much his heart aches for us. Amen? So what I want to do is I want to get into John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And I know for those of us that have spent time in the Bible, who have spent time in church, we have gone through this before. You guys have heard this before. This is Jesus saying, I am the true vine. And I know you've probably heard many things about this, and and so have I. Maybe for those of you that have never read the Bible, you don't know Jesus, what I'm praying is that when I read these words today and I explain them, that, that you will draw to him. Or maybe for those of you that have heard it time and time again, you say, yep, I know this passage very well, but maybe you're in a situation where relationships have hurt you moms. Maybe today is a, is, a, is a weird day for you and you've been hurt. Anybody in here who's been hurt in relationships, what I'm hoping is that this will give you a fresh sense of what relationships should be and that you should want to draw nearer to Jesus. So beginning in verse one, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. This is very much analogous to what an intimate relationship should be. The vine dresser being God the Father who tends the vines and the branches and Jesus being the vine. And as we're gonna read here in a minute, we are the branches. We are all interconnected. The Father, the Son being Jesus and us, his people. That we are basically invited to something called a dance. For all eternity, Jesus, the Son, God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, three persons and one God, for all eternity, 
have been doing the dance. The intimacy, the relationship, the closeness, the oneness. And for some reason, we enter the scene in Genesis. God created man. That's all of us, man and female. Here we are. And he is inviting us to the dance. How many of you have been invited to a dance before? That's a great feeling, isn't it? Now, what's really weird is nowadays, girls invite guys to the dance. I've never heard of that before in my life. I'm looking at the youth over here. What the heck is going on with that? Where, where are our men that man up and go after what they want? Amen? Uh -huh, yeah, okay. But this made me start to think about, you know, what is, what is a dance involved? There is, there is a level of intimacy there, right? There is a level of closeness there. Like, I know I talked a little bit about my VMI experience with, with my friend, but another friend that shared that experience with me was Lisa. And when, when I invited her out to our ring dance, and then I invited her out to our, our graduation when I graduated, gosh, 26 years ago next week, Wow, she was there. And man, let me tell you something. There is something about, I'm sorry, pulling her close to me and just moving with the music. Man, that's God. That's the level of intimacy that he wants with us, that closeness. So, Jesus is the true vine. The Father is the vine dresser. He goes on in verse 2. Every branch, that's all of us, that are in Christ, okay? I'm going to talk about that here in a minute. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch, that's us, that's, not in, that's in me, that does not bear fruit. So I've read so much about this. I've read a lot of commentaries about this. I didn't get a chance to ask Jeff Jackson, our residential Bible scholar, because he's on vacation. But there's a lot of discussion around this. Like these branches that don't bear fruit, are they really believers? Or are they people that are believers but have fallen away? And what I've determined, and how I'm going to explain this, is that when Jesus says, every branch in me... That are, that, that are, those are people that have received him as Lord and Savior. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The relationship aspect of our friendship with Jesus is meant to bear fruit. The reason why we're invited to the dance is, yes, God loves us. God wants us to be a part of his kingdom. But then we're left here on this earth for a purpose. We're left here on this earth to bear fruit. We're left on this earth to be a witness of that friendship that we now have with Jesus. And the more that we're in him, the more that we're going to begin to bear fruit. But when we're not cultivating that relationship, then we're not going to bear fruit and we're going to be taken away. And I'm going to explain that here in a sec. Continuing on, he says that in every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And that pruning process, we don't like that. 
and maybe the friends that God has moved on from your life. Maybe the loneliness that you feel right now is part of that pruning process. Because if I'm honest with you, if I was still close to my friend that I spoke about, I don't know if I'd be here today. There's people in our life that need to be pruned out of our life. And part of that pruning process is God removing those people from your life. Part of that pruning process might very well be that he gives you this sense that you need to start walking away from some people that are in your life. Because some of those people are going to hold you back from what God is calling you to do. Some of those people are going to keep you stagnant where you're at. Some of those people you need, because you know God is telling you, you need to move them away from you and move on with your life. And that was one of the other things that I learned this week, was I needed to move on. So that pruning process is very important because once these things are away from your life that are, that are distracting you from your relationship with God, once those things are removed and are pruned away, then there's more focus, there's more clarity, there's more direction, there's more wisdom, and hopefully there's a more drawing near to God. That's extremely important. So in verse 3, he said, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So we as believers, we're clean, right? We were made clean, not because of things that we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. The fact that he has died for our sins, the fact that his blood, which is the new covenant, has cleansed us of all of our sins and all unrighteousness. Once we believed in him, once we believed in his word, then we are now clean. So we're also his friends. Verse 4, this is the key phrase, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide in me. Seven times he says that in this chapter. Abide in me. That is that intimacy, that friendship, that relationship, the dance, if you will. Abide in me. Say this with me. You get out of it what you put into it. You get out of it what you put into it. If you don't have a good relationship with your mom, you get out of it what you put into it. If you don't have a good relationship with your wife, you get out of it what you put into it. Man, let me tell you something. If I can get on a little bit of a soapbox here. If you're having issues in your marriage, what are you putting into it? You know, we're going to have this marriage course here soon. If you're not willing to pay, it's a hundred bucks, okay? It's a hundred dollars. It's a lot of money for some of us. If you're not willing to invest in that, if, if you're not willing to invest in the time that, to spend with your spouse, if you're waiting for your spouse to do something for you, 
You get out of it what you put into it. With Jesus, you get out of it, this relationship, what you put into it. Are you abiding in him? Are you spending time with him? Because we're going to get into the reason here in a minute why we need to do this. The whole abiding in me thing, right? And I know we start going real religious. We start thinking about all the things we can do to abide in Jesus, right? I need to spend time in his word. I need to pray. I need to sing. I need to come down front at church and sing. I need to go to church every Sunday. Every time the church opens its doors, I need to go to... Really, ultimately, those are things that we do because we love God. But then there's this abide in me thing. And, I, and I've been trying real hard to understand what that means. And this is what God told me. How much time do you spend on Netflix? How much time do you binge your favorite series on Netflix or Hulu or whatever your streaming thing of choice is? Now, I'm not trying to condemn you all because I'm looking at me too because I'm currently streaming something Lisa will tell you that I'm watching a show that as she's reading, I'm watching a show that I just can't, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's my guilty pleasure, but I can abide in Netflix for hours on end, but man, you asked me to abide in Jesus for 10 minutes, and it's like, you know, not really, but you know what I mean. The flesh doesn't want to do it. How many of you all have like workout routines that you're like religious about? Not anymore. Not anymore. Man, I love the honesty down here. Man, we all got our thing, right? That we make a priority. Man, it's crazy. We, we just bought, my wife and I just bought these water bottles. They're like half a gallon. I mean, they, but, they, but they have these time stamps on them so that you know how much water you need to drink by what time in order to remain hydrated, you know? And it's like, we're so, like, I'm like always looking at that because this is kind of how God has made me. I'm very process-oriented, very detailed, very OCD. It's like, oh my gosh, like even right now, like in four minutes, I, I need to be, have more water drunk, but I can't because I'm up here preaching. It's like, we're so, we're so attentive to these things. Yet abiding in Jesus is like, oh, he's talking about that at church today. So, oh, yeah, I got to do that. No, it needs to be something that we, we do every, every day of our life. And yes, it looks different for everybody. So I, I got, you know, Mark down here on the end. I know he did a bike race yesterday. He, did, he rode 53 miles yesterday, which is like, to me. I guarantee you there was some of that time when you're out there in the middle of nowhere, that he was abiding in Jesus. Like, it all looks different for all of us, but are you consciously aware of this time is for he and I? That's what I'm talking about. So all of you that are about ready to binge something on Netflix this evening, remember that. Every time that boom, boom, boom comes up when the, when the end appears, <laughs> That's God saying, you sure you want to do this? It's time to abide in me. All right. I, I digress. He goes on in verse 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So there you go. There, there's the reason why we have relationship with God. It's not just about being invited to the dance and having this intimacy with him, but out of that comes obedience. See, that's why I, I really get burned when I hear people say, well, God only wants my money. You're not in relationship with him if that's what you think. No, no, I, I'm, I recognize what Jesus has done for me, and so I want to give into his kingdom. Like, I want to do that. It's not because I feel like it's an obligation or because in Malachi it tells me I need to tie the 10%. It's, it's, this is because of what he's done for me and I'm in a relationship with him that I want to show him that I appreciate him and that I want his kingdom to continue to prosper on this earth. I want to see more people join in this friendship thing that we're talking about today. So he, it is that whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. The, the relationship we have with Jesus is a relationship of, I want to do something for you. Like, I feel you, man. I love you. I know you love me. You've already put a ring on that finger called commitment, right? Because you died on a cross for me and you resurrected from the dead. You faced death. You took it on. You're risen. You're victorious. You did all these things for me so that I don't have to bear the, the brunt of the penalty of sin. I don't have to experience death permanently. And because of that, now, now I I want to do for you. And if I can abide in you, then out of that relationship, I can do a whole lot for your kingdom. And see, that speaks for me. Uh, It speaks to me a lot because I used to be in the military and I used to salute the flag all the time, right? Like my heart, patriotic, you know, proud to be an American, Lee Greenwood kind of thing. Like it was all there that I would do anything, include lay down my life for this country if I had to. Of course, I've never been in a situation where bullets were flying, and you never really know what happens when that happens. But at least in my heart, <laughs> I would have been willing to lay my, dof- my life down for this country. So that's the same thing that we should have, that same sense of relationship and that almost kind of like a patriotic duty, but it's not. It's because your heart is invested in the kingdom of God. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Okay, so a lot of the commentary that I've read says this is the judgment. But again, these branches are in him. So when I look at this is, I almost see as Jesus is talking to his disciples, it's not necessarily a chastisement. You better watch out. If you don't abide in me and don't bear fruit, you're out of here. You're going to burn up. No, what he's saying here is, is when, when you're a part of me and, and you want to do what I'm asking you to do, if you don't and you don't abide in me so that you get the marching orders, if you will, if you don't abide in me, then, then you become useless like a dried up branch that needs to be burned. Like I can get more use out of a dried branch if I burn it for fuel, right? What he's saying here is, is if you don't abide in me, then there's no way you're going to be able to bear fruit for my kingdom. And then you become useless. 
It's, it's like he's saying, I don't want you to become useless for my kingdom. I want you to want to do for my kingdom. He goes on in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Don't ask for a Ferrari, you're not going to get it. But what he's saying here is, if you abide in me, the more that you abide in me, the more you become like me. Like with my friend that I grew up with that I explained to you about earlier, he, he and I started to, to mimic one another. Like I, I would say the things that he would say. He would say the things that I would say. We would laugh at the same jokes. We had the same mannerisms to, to the point where some people would look at us and say, you're brothers. And no, not really. But yeah, the more that you hang with somebody, the more you're going to become like them. That is why we need to remember that we are not of this world, but we're in the world. And that is why we need to abide in Jesus more, because the more we abide in him, then the more we become like him. Not that we become God. No, we become like him. We know him to the point to where when we interact with people that are outside these four walls, we're being a witness. We're being a light in the darkness. We are, we are exemplifying who he is to them because we actually, what I'm ultimately saying here is we know him. We know him so well. You get out of it what you put into it. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. All about love. This is all about relationship. As we abide in one another, there's this sense of love. And out of this love, then we obey. See, I don't want this to sound like I'm telling you that the, reason, the only reason why we're on this earth is to just obey God and do what he tells us to do. No. The very first thing is we recognize how much God loves us and we receive Jesus into our lives so that we can have that relationship and then out of that relationship of intimacy and love, as Jesus is saying here, then, then we begin to do what he asks us to do. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and in that your joy may be full. This is, this is kind of the kind of relationship to where you know you're close. You just know it. Like when I was dating Lisa, there came a moment, I remember exactly when that moment was, and I do, and I'll tell you later what it was. When that moment came, I knew we transitioned from friends into a deeper relationship. There was love. And then you just know, and you just feel it. And then as, as people that are married, I, I, her and I both can tell, sometimes we're, we're, we have the guts to say it, and we're still learning that, but you can tell when you're in sync, right? 
you can tell when, when everything is going to where you, you know that, that there is full joy in our relationship. And that's the battle. That's the reason why the enemy comes so hard at marriages and relationships because he does not want you to understand what it's like to be in a relationship with God that is full of joy. It's work. It requires work. The fact that her and I are still married after going on 26 years now is it requires work. It's the same thing. It's very analogous to the relationship we have with Jesus to abide in him. It requires work. It requires effort. So that is something that we're definitely going to talk about when I'm done with this message and I'm getting there. Verse 12, so how do we have this relationship? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So the fruit of a good relationship with Jesus is that you're going to love people. You're going to love the ones that cut you off when you're driving to work. You're going to love the ones that are holding you up in line at the grocery store because for some reason they didn't realize they didn't take checks, they only take credit cards, and that person doesn't have a credit card, and you're stuck. You're going to love the person (laughs) at work that you can't stand. You're going to love one another because he said this, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The idea that we are to model what Jesus has done for us, that we are to lay down our life for friends. And those friends, church, are people we probably don't even know. That is who we are to lay our life down for. These are people we don't even know. And I've had experiences where I've encountered people that have received Jesus with my encounter that it's weird because when you step out of your comfort zone and you actually engage these people you don't know, there's this sense of my joy being full. There's this sense of of friendship and I don't even know who they are. And then when I leave, I can barely even remember their first name. But for some reason, I feel like we're friends. And part of laying down our life is laying down our comfort to engage people we don't know. And here are the powerful words that I talked about as we were exiting worship. Jesus says in verse 14, you are my friends. If you do what I command you. This is not do all the things that I say and we become friends. No, out of this relationship again, because we are friends and you have this intimate relationship with me, now you're doing the things that I've commanded you to do. And he says in verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. We're no longer servants. Servants is the key word there. As a friend of God, we're no longer servants. Well, wait a minute, Jeff. We're supposed to serve God. Yes. But again, out of that place of relationship, we're to serve Him. But a servant is completely different than a friend. A servant is somebody who does something out of obligation, does something out of duty. Like I read a verse today where Jesus talked about how this, a servant is there to come and, and, and serve me dinner and, and, and do what I tell them to do. 
And, and they don't get a reward because they're just doing what they're supposed to be doing. And as friends, we're doing it, again, out of the sense of relationship that we want to do it. And that we have this intimacy with God that we're not expecting a reward because our reward's already been given to us. That's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what I'm doing for God has nothing to do with obligation or duty. And that for me as someone who's former military is sometimes very hard to understand. But like for my kids and for my wife, because I love them, because I have a close relationship with them, I would do anything for them. Not because I feel like I have to, but because I want to. And that's what he's saying here. And when he says, you are my friends, we have to understand that it's friendship with the king. This is not, Jesus is my homeboy. How many of you have seen those t-shirts? Or Jesus is my homie, I've seen that too. Jesus is my buddy. No, we're the friend of the king. And that's a completely different level of friendship than we as humans understand. That being a friend of the king means that we're in his inner circle. We have access to his courts. That we get the opportunity to press into him, to abide in him, and then hear his heart, and then take his heart and carry it with us wherever we go. This is not, let me give you a Top Gun high five with Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise, right? This, yeah, that new Top Gun movie's coming out. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's the reason why I was in the military, was because of that that movie that came out in 1986, Top Gun. But yeah, we can't go to Jesus and give him the Top Gun high five, right? I mean, we can, and I believe we will. Because one of the things that he says at the Last Supper following this passage, he'll, he's going to say that I will not share of the fruit of the vine or drink from it again until I see you in my kingdom. So what he's saying is I'm holding off the celebration until you are with me in heaven. So there's going to be a time where we're going to have that kind of, that kind of relationship. But right now, we're the friend of the king. We get to share his heart. He shares it with me. He already knows the thoughts and intentions of my heart. But now we get this opportunity to know the thoughts and intentions of his heart if we abide in him on a consistent basis to where out of that produces the results. Verse 16, you did not choose me. That's a friend that I want. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. Every one of us that's in here that's in Christ, that's received him as Lord and Savior, God chose us. That's a, a, a thought that blows your mind when you think about it. But he chose each and every one of you if you are in Christ today. Before you were even born, he knew this, see, we have to understand that time is not God. Time is for us. God sees everything from the beginning to the end of human time. He knew when you were going to receive him. And he knew if you didn't receive him. He already knew. So you're already chosen. He chose us. And he chose us. And he goes on to say, and appointed you 
that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. The fruit he's talking about here is people. He wants people to have the same relationship that we should have in him by abiding in him. He wants that fruit also to abide. And every one of us that's in Christ, whether you think you, should, you belong to full-time ministry or not, you're in full-time ministry. You're meant and designed to go out and bear fruit. He goes on, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. I'm telling you these things so that you will love one another. This is not an ego trip. Like, I need you to abide in me. I need you to spend time with me. I need you. No, no, no. No, I love you, and I want you to love me, but I want you to do all these things so that you can love one another. The word that I gave you is consistency. And I talked about Netflix and all that stuff, and I know we laughed about it, but What I've started doing this past week, if I'm honest with you, I've said this before, but sometimes being in full-time ministry, our relationship with Jesus tends to be so that we get the job done. And, and, And sometimes it's hard for me with everything that's going on, and I know we're a small church. I mean, I want to be a lot bigger. I want to, like I said, I want to have more than one service on a Sunday. But we are relatively small church. It don't matter if you're small or big. The question is, are you effective as a church? Right? So I believe God has taken this church somewhere. And I'm still trying to figure out where that is. As we say, move forward, right? You find home, move forward. We got these nice little flashy branding things that we like to say. But, but. There's a lot, and I feel like because there's been a lot that's been on, on me and the staff, and even on you all, that's, that's very symbolic that the enemy is trying to keep us from moving forward. And there's just a lot up here, okay, for all of us, and those are of my staff that are here, and the volunteers, I know we have a lot of things that are on our mind, and sometimes we have enough time to spend with Jesus to get the job done And what God is saying, I need a lot more than that from you. And I know this, and that's part of the things that I've been working on. Um, I kind of hinted at it at uh, the beginning of the year. It's things that I'm working on for my own relationship that just to get time enough for me, like my time is to go run. That that is something that I like to do. And I go jog, and, and, and not to belabor this, but it hurts to run. But it's so important for me to do that because I know that that's when I can hear more clearly from Jesus. That's when I tend to abide in him. That's what I'm saying. It it all looks different for everybody that's in here and watching online, that, that time of abiding in him. And so what I have started doing, if I'm not running, because I don't run every day, but I set my watch for 10 minutes. And I sit quietly. And yes, I pray in the Spirit for a little bit to kind of get my mind off of the things in ministry, the things in my world, to kind of quiet myself down. And then I just quiet. 
And in my mind, I just envision Jesus. Sometimes he's on the throne. Sometimes we're sitting somewhere. I don't want to get too personal here, but I got my own time, my own thing with him. But it's just that letting down of yourself and allowing the walls to come down for 10 minutes. And he'll speak. He will. The consistency aspect is so important. That's what the abiding means. He doesn't want us to be a flash in the pan kind of friend. He wants us to consistently tie into his presence every day. And sometimes even reading this can get in the way of that. Yes. Because sometimes as believers that have been doing this for a long time, it becomes repetitious. It becomes a thing to check the box. It becomes the thing that you've got to do. And yes, God speaks through his word today. But I think what he wants out of that intimate relationship, the dance that he's invited us to partake in, is to simply calm ourselves down, shut out the world, shut everything out, the, the duties, the obligations, and just sit quietly in his presence. I've only been doing that for the past couple of days. And part of what convicted me is that every day for 10 minutes, my wife and I, we lift some weights. We, we're trying to work on our, on our core. Because I haven't been doing that for a long time. And so we're, we're working on our core. I'm trying to work on my posture, all that good stuff. We do that for 10 minutes every day. And it's fun because her and a friend of hers that's actually doing the same thing. They hold each other accountable. And what I heard God say to me is, why can't you do that with me? Just 10 minutes a day. So what I'm asking you all to do is to carve out 10 minutes of your day and sit quietly in his presence and be his friend.